Hey everyone, welcome to Emmanuel Fellowship's podcast. This is Pastor Trent, the founding pastor of Emmanuel Fellowship, a church in South Minneapolis that exists to serve our city and to live for God's glory. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We pray that this message encourages you to follow Jesus and to see his presence and power everywhere in your life. The conference championship um, in Evansville um, was one of the few locker room pep talks that I remember from my collegiate career. We had played a horrendous first half, and so the team walked into the small old locker room at this stadium, and there was a, a feel, you could almost sense like humidity, the discouragement and the um, frustration in our team. It was quiet. And then I remember coach getting up and beginning to speak words of challenge and words of truth. He was not tearing us down in any way, but he was reminding us who we were and how far that we had come and what the truth of the matter was. And as he did and he presented the case for why we should not lose heart, it was almost like the fog dissipated and we went back out onto the field and crushed the second half and of course took home the conference championship along with it. Isn't it true that sometimes in life you need encouragement? Isn't it true that Sometimes in life, you need something to recenter you when your heart has become faint. Isn't it true that oftentimes we grow weary with the circumstances around us and it's difficult to not lose heart? Well, in our passage this morning in Ephesians chapter 3, we have Coach Paul the great gospel globetrotter, the apostle himself, giving words of encouragement to the church so that they might clearly not lose heart. Look at this in verse 13 of chapter 3. This simple phrase where he says in verse 13, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. That phrase right there actually unpacks and helps us understand what's going on in all of the preceding 12 verses in chapter 3. That he does not want the church there. He does not want the churches in the region. He does not want any church that's trying to blueprint after the design that God has given him as a master church planter to lose heart. And so this is a good message for us today. What grace is offered to us in this passage? Well, reasons to not lose heart. A halftime pep talk, if you will, for the Christian life in the moments which in the, in the face of suffering, you feel faint. When difficulty comes in life and you begin to fear. When challenges arise in the ministry that you're doing or in the calling that God's placed on your life and you need courage. This is obvious why they need courage. Obvious why they need a reminder of the truth because, of course, Paul, homeboy, is in prison again, right? He is in prison and he's writing to them to encourage them because 
If the leader of the movement is now again in prison, sidelined from actively serving, planting churches and ministering to leaders and to Christians throughout the region, then what hope do they have? Well, apparently a lot. Apparently a lot. The message that he leaves with them is going to help motivate them in a time of trial. And listen, it's, it's as if the, the word that he dropped in chapter two, he knew it was difficult enough because seriously, like if you, if you unpack, okay, he's told Christians that they were dead in their sins and they needed to be raised to new life. And then once they were raised to new life with anyone else whom they believe, even their greatest enemies, people that were completely foreign and unlike them, they have become one new family. That's a hard message. That's not an easy thing to receive. And so Paul, rather than pressing on to another prayer, pushing forward the church, sees people like you, like me, who need encouragement. So listen, if you've ever felt like the message of redemption, that sin brings deadness to you and you need spiritual life, or have you ever felt like the message of reconciliation, that you're separated from God and that the only means of being connected again to the living God is through Jesus, have you ever felt like that's difficult? Well, Paul has an encouraging word for you because he knows that receiving those truths is challenging at times. So he gives them three reasons to not shrink back in fear and to not lose heart. Here's reason number one. Ready? Reason number one, God's call. God's call is reason number one. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given me for you. Okay, I, Paul, a prisoner, okay, that's, that's where he's at right now, in prison, on behalf of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, right? Assuming you heard of the stewardship. What's he saying? He's saying, God gave me a stewardship, a household to manage, a, a commission to the Gentiles. And not only was that not his interest or not the fulfillment of his wildest dreams, Paul was running in the complete opposite direction. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up in his life and then drops upon him this gift of a call. Paul is therefore because he himself has experienced that redemption from death to life spiritually, from blindness to sight spiritually, from disconnected to connected spiritually. Paul himself knows that he is more of a prisoner, more of a slave to the Lord Jesus than he is to any government who could hold him captive. And so reason number one, Paul says to not lose heart is God called me. God called me. And I don't know about you, but I, f- I feel this one. Okay, like when, when our network, the Acts 29 network, goes about um, assessing and seeing if a, a, a couple and a man is fit to plant a church, one of the things that they press relentlessly is call. Is there a clear, solid foundation of a call of God upon this person's life? And if you're fitting to plant a church, you need that because if you don't have a call, then when things get tough, 
You don't have anything to fall back on. And what Paul is saying, even though things are tough and I'm in prison right now, I can fall back on the call of God upon my life. Not only is the call of God important, the stewardship that God has given to Paul for the Gentiles, but he has not only called him, he's showed him something. Let's keep reading. Assuming that you heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. God showed him something. As I have written briefly, probably referring to chapter 2, which we just read. When you read this, chapter 2, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. That's true. Like chapter two is dense. Like Paul's got some insight into what God is doing in the world. Which was not made known to the sons of men in previous generations, but now has been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery, in case you're wondering what it is, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's the mystery. Paul is saying, listen, not only can you bank that God has called me, but God has shown me something. I have this revelation from the Lord. And if, and if God ever calls a leader to something, right? Whenever somebody receives a call by God, what's clear is they also get a vision from God right? They get a picture of what the future could be, and then embedded within them is a burning desire that it must be. A genuine call from God has vision to it. And let me ask you, do you, do you sense God's calling on your life in a particular area, in your, in your work, in your neighborhood, with your family, with a particular kind of ministry? Is God calling you? Do you have vision? Is God spoken direction? Said, hey, would you steward this? Whenever that happens, God reveals something to you. Whether or not your call is history altering in the way that the Apostle Paul's was or not, it surely will change things. When a divine commission comes upon your life, things happen and things change. God's, God's call upon Paul was unique, but yours likewise must have vision and must have direction from the Lord. So what is Paul's call? What, is, what has God shown him in this mystery? Now, mystery does not mean something that can't be known. When, when you're talking about mystery in the scriptures, it means something that was not known, but then was made known. And this is what Paul's whole life ministry is about. That what was unclear before, the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles has now become clear in Jesus, namely that the Jews and the Gentiles are, by faith, part of the same family. A new humanity. You see this in an alliteration at the end of verse 6, and then another one also at the end of the passage, but we'll get there later. At the end of verse 6, you, he uses the same Greek prefix to talk about how they, they are co. Jews and Gentiles are the same. They are together. When it comes to Jews and Gentiles, Paul says, inheritance, same. Body, same. Promise, same. They together, though incredibly different in background, though incredibly diverse in cultures, are equal. And by the way, as we talked about last week, 
This is incredible news. This is incredible news, especially when it comes to the racial and the economic division within our own country. But listen, this is not just America's problem. This is humanity's story, right? In every corner of the globe, when you search for it, you will clearly see the impulse of oppression at work. Dr. Carl Ellis says that oppression, of course, is ungodliness or unrighteousness that is forced upon others. And so classism, racism, slavery are not a uniquely American problem, though they are one, right? But they are a human problem because of our tendency to erase guilt by taking advantage of others, to suppress shame by continuing to claim supremacy over others, by trying to, to get rid of fear if we could just force subjugate a different kind of people so that we remain in power and they have no power. And those kinds of things are only things that the gospel answers. When it comes to the underlying issues of shame and fear and guilt, there is one resolution, and it's found in Jesus. These things ruin and continue to run human history into fragmentation and brokenness. But in Jesus, the Apostle Paul says, peace, diversity, and unity, difference but equality. What a message. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. God called him, God showed him, and God gifted him with grace for the situation and power to be able to carry it through. The grace that was needed to fulfill his call, even though he is in prison, has not lacked in provision. Paul has everything he needs in order to complete the work of the ministry that God's asked him to do. He is continuing to minister to these people. And so he says and asks them, do not lose heart. God started this thing. And God's going to see it through. Reason number one to not lose heart is God's call upon the Apostle Paul. But for us, family, it's good news because God is still calling people here in this city and around our country and around the world, calling men and women to gospel ministry, and he's carrying forward the work of the kingdom. And just as the Apostle Paul's stewardship was not finished, neither is King Jesus's stewardship finished. Because God has given him the place that is higher than any other place. God has given him the name that is above every other name. And God has given him a purpose that is above every other purpose to unite all the fragmented and broken pieces of our world in Christ. That includes both redemption and reconciliation. So family, do not lose the second reason to not lose heart is not just God's call, but God's charge to the Apostle Paul. Not only has God called Paul to someone, but God has charged Paul with some things to do, namely to preach and to bring to light. Let me read it for you. This is verse 8. 
In verse 8, he says, To me, though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. To me, the very least of all saints, to preach the riches. Let the contrast continue, right? Here is this man so humble enough to see his own sin, his own flaws, the least of the leaders of God, yet proclaiming the greatest riches of God. Now, I don't know about you, but if you have kids or if you're a family and you have kids that are still at school, um, they're not at school, but they're probably at home and you're thinking about what am I going to teach and do with them? Well, we've of course been um, doing some school with Audrey, our oldest, and her favorite subject by far is math. And I'm just going to say, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of biased, but I'm not biased. She's pretty good at it. And so the other day, um, over dinner, we're kind of talking out some math problems and we started counting by hundreds, okay? She's at that spot where sort of grouping um, block numbering together is her, 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 her new subject. And so 100, 200, 300, 400, and we get up into the thousands. And then she's like, Daddy, well, what, what comes after the th thousands? I was like, well, okay, uh, when, when you get a thousand thousands, then you get a million. A million. I was like, yeah. Was, well, what about after that? Well, when you get, let me see, when you get a thousand millions, you get a billion. And she looks at me and goes, a billion? Daddy, let's, let's count to a billion. Oh, dad. Um, well, we can't quite count to a billion because to count to a billion would take us 31,000 years. And we don't quite have that amount of time on the planet. And so, listen to me. It's beyond counting out. If you were to count every second a number, you could not count to a billion. And this is what unsearchable means. The unsearchable riches of Jesus. They are the beyond counting out, the beyond measure, the incapable of understanding and fathoming the unsearchable riches of Christ that we will count for now and all of eternity in Christ. There is never non-sufficient funds. There is never a check that bounces. In Christ, there is the most incredible well, a reservoir. Of resources. What is the Apostle Paul supposed to do with these resources? He's supposed to preach them. He's supposed to preach them. And the word used here, of course, is evangelize, which in our day has an incredibly bad rap about it. And in some ways for many good reasons. But, but let me tell you what it's not saying when that word comes about here. Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It, it definitely does not mean that Paul is to go around guilt-tripping people into living more moral lives. It does not mean that Paul is supposed to go around and fear-monger people into sort of coming to the altar in light of the end times in a pandemic, right? It does not mean that the apostle Paul is to come around and start selling something as if we even had some, uh, some means to buy it. What it simply means is that Paul is to go and to tell the good news 
of a fortune that could be your inheritance too. Not only is he to preach the unsearchable riches, he is to bring to light for everyone the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This word bring to light is the same word in chapter 1 when he prays to have the eyes of their hearts enlightened so that they would know the hope to which God has called them, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The idea is of daylight. I think of the darkness of night giving way to springtime sunlight with blue sky and fullness of day coming, rising steadily, illuminating the plan of the creator God to unite all the fragments and broken things in our world in Christ. Since we've been on the subject of school, one of the, of course, resources that we have is to look on things like Instagram or Pinterest and find different ideas. And um, my wife was looking the other day um, and saw this comment of a family who has been spending some time learning about the dinosaurs. And let me, let me quote it for you. It's wild, isn't it? She writes. The billions upon billions of chances it took for us to be here raising our children right here and now. That just one tiny change somewhere back in the infinite potential of the world could have meant that I would not be sitting here with my daughter on my lap, a stack, stack of books beside us, the cat curled up by our feet, and my love working next door. And yet, here we are. The most precious of coincidences colliding. It's pure a beautiful magic, isn't it? A blink of an eyelid and this could all be so different, but it's not. And we are here and we are so lucky. When you read the story she's painted, it sounds so beautiful, poetic even, the way that she's crafted her reflection upon the situation that she's in and how seemingly lucky that it is. But isn't this one of the narratives that's possible? One of the ways of viewing the world that by chance over the course of colliding circumstances so very unlikely but yet they are true, a kind of beautiful magic that we even exist at all in the grand scheme of the universe, much less have this time with a daughter and books and a cat. Isn't that one narrative that in some ways when you inspect it, turns out to be very dim. Chance? Luck? Perhaps we could not be here at all. The alternative story, of course, is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages that the Creator God has made everything that exists and still is in charge and rules over everything that exists. And a pandemic does not negate the fact of that, but God is working a story towards its end and has entered into time and space even amidst our own rebellion and sin and divisiveness in order to bring about a unity and a peace the world so longs for. Family, do not lose heart. 
the story of redemption and of reconciliation is true. And one day, Jesus will bring it all the way to fulfillment. He alone provides a hope that is great enough so that you might not lose heart. So we've seen God's call, God's charge. And let me close briefly with God's cause. This is verse 10 of chapter 3. So that through the church, Paul is preaching, Paul is bringing to light, Paul is doing ministry. Why? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the purpose that he has realized, he has worked, realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness, access, with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you to not lose heart over what I am suffering for you. This is one of the core ministry ideas that we believe as a church. And one of the core beliefs of the Acts 29 network in which we're a part of, that the local church is the primary means through which God is going to display his great wisdom and glory. The local united church of believers, even when we can't gather publicly in large numbers, is the means God wants to put on display his wisdom. There is no need for fear and discouragement because God is using them, using us, to show off his wisdom to the world. God shows his manifold, his many-colored, his diverse wisdom, highlighting the breadth of it and the power of it to the world. And to who? Well, let's look at it again. This is verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now certainly this plan is to be revealed to the world, but here Paul presents us with a particular purpose to make known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He's already spoken of the heavenly realms and the heavenly places and will continue to throughout this book. And I want to spend much more time on that later, but here now you need to see that this is speaking of the rulers and authorities that have rebelled against God the dark forces within our world, even within our very city, that seek to thwart and to run against God's purposes in the world. You know, there's a saying in traditional black churches about Satan that goes something like this. The biggest lie that Satan ever told is that he doesn't exist. And of course, C.S. Lewis echoes the same in his screw tape letters when he says there are two equal and opposite errors that which our race can fall into about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. 
What the Apostle Paul wants you to see here is that the church is being used to sound out and show off the wisdom of God and his power over and above all of the counter and dark forces pushing against the light because the light is shown in the church in its incredible unity across great diversity shining upon the peacemaker, Jesus himself. What the Apostle Paul is saying is, listen, the rulers and authorities, of, of which the church at Ephesus in this surrounding region would have been aware of many different kinds of spiritual forces, influences, perhaps even different strands of magic and incantation, not too far off from what we experience here in South Minneapolis, but those would know through the church the power of God. Paul is saying they will tremble at you, not because of who you are, but because of who you are connected to. The King of Kings, who is over all rule and authority. He is the one bringing about his eternal purpose to be realized. And he is the one, Jesus, in whom the church has boldness, access, confidence. And so Paul says, I ask you, do not lose heart. He wants us to move from fear, which is prevalent in our society. It was sort of bubbling beneath the surface and now it's sort of come out raging with the circumstances we face. He wants us to move from fear to faith. Not faith over fear, as if fear is to be sort of just suppressed and pushed, but fear leading us to a proper reverence and wisdom, even the manifold wisdom of God. So listen, family, don't lose heart. God is at work in our church and through our church to display his goodness and glory. And Jesus will bring about full redemption and reconciliation by his power and his grace. God, thank you for our church that still is connected and united, even though socially distanced. Even as I pray now, remembering that people will listen later, my heart is heavy for us to not be discouraged but to let fear lead us to a proper sense of faith and trust in the God who calls, the God who shows, and the God who's charged us with work to do, and the God who has a cause that he will complete in the world. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. May it strengthen your church. Amen.